Hello and welcome to the HRD Live podcast. This week, I'm joined by Ariana Huffington, businesswoman, author, founder of the Huffington Post and founder and CEO of Thrive Global. Ariana has been listed as one of Time's 100 Most Influential People and one of Forbes' Most Powerful Women. In 2016, Ariana founded Thrive Global to end the global stress and burnout epidemic by providing people and businesses with behavior change technology and media to support them. Ariana and I discussed the origins of Thrive Global, the current state of well-being in business, the importance of microsteps, taking time out to listen to Taylor Swift, and more. Enjoy. Ariana, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you, Michael. Thank you. So, first things first, where did this desire to transform the state of well-being in the workplace begin? So, it's both personal and a recognition of a collective need. The personal is what happened to me in 2007, two years into building the Huffington Post, the divorced mother of two teenage daughters, um, when I collapsed from exhaustion, burnout, sleep deprivation, hit my head on my desk, broke my cheekbone. And that was the beginning of my realizing that not only my life, but the lives of hundreds of millions of people around the world were fueled by burnout and by this collective delusion that in order to succeed, we just have to burn out, we have to be always on, that burnout is like the price of success. And so I started bringing all these issues in our coverage at HuffPost. Uh, we launched a dedicated sleep section in 2007, which was really early. Um, but at some point, and that point came in 2016, I no longer just wanted to um, give people content and awareness. I wanted um, to help them change the, the way they work and live. So to go from knowing what to do to actually doing it. And that's when I decided to leave HuffPost and launch Thrive Global in order to help people and companies bring these changes in their lives and in their workplaces. So how does that work then that kind of that, that transformation what 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 do you what do you think people need in order to start making that change so what we offer now is a holistic solution a platform um that includes a coach in your pocket uh, an app if you want that feeds micro steps for behavior change that also feeds inspiring content new role models um, and the latest science to help people on these journeys of transformation. And microsteps are a key to everything we are offering and to what we think is essential for behavior change. You know, we have this um, uh, false impression at the moment that you make your New Year resolutions and um, you bring about change in your life. And we know that most New Year resolutions are broken by January 19. <laughs> so we recommend instead that people break down um, the changes that they want to see in their lives into what B.J. Fogg, the behavior scientist at Stanford, calls tiny habits. We call them micro steps 
too small to fail. So let's say you want to start exercising. Don't tell yourself you're going to go to the gym for an hour a day because after two weeks you won't. And what happens is that you begin to feel like a failure. You beat yourself up, and it's less likely that you're going to exercise. (laughs) We say take the steps rather than the elevator. Do five minutes of push-ups or um, have a walking meeting instead of a sitting-down meeting. So we break it down into, we have hundreds of micro-steps, into tiny steps, and you pick your journey, you pick your first step, and then you keep adding. But the point is, make them so small that every day you feel like a success. (laughs) You feel, I'm taking another step towards my goal. Another area, another journey that a lot of them, um, hundreds of thousands of customers who work with through corporations um, around the world, uh, another journey that's really important to them is our relationship with technology. More and more of us feel increasingly addicted to our phones. We feel kind of out of control. I mean, don't tell yourself you're not going to use your phone. <laughs> don't, don't give yourself some big, unrealistic goal. I mean, we have two micro steps about that as a way to start, which actually are two of my absolute favorites. One is when you wake up in the morning, take one minute, 60 seconds, before you go to your phone. One minute, okay? Mm. If you don't have one minute, you don't have a life. <laughs> the reason for that is that if you go straight, <laughs> you know, if you go straight to your phone, the data shows that people are often flooded with a cortisol stress hormone even before their feet have hit the ground. Because you don't know what you're going to see when you go to your phone, whether it's an, a message from your boss or a tweet um from someone that upsets you, whatever it is, you need that minute to um, set your intention for the day. Remember what you're grateful for. Um, Set up your own priorities for the day before you go to your phone. And at night, another favorite micro step is pick a time at the end of the day that you declare the end of your working day. There is no real end to our working day. (laughs) You know, we could all stay up all night answering emails and texts. So we need to declare it. And we we declare it by turning off our phone and charging it outside our bedroom. So again, if it's too big a step for you, you decide for yourself. You say, I'm going to do that one night a week you begin to build that muscle of success around your goals. And we divide our goals into what we call fuel, which is movement and nutrition, um, connection, recharging, which is everything we're talking about, and focus. Because one of the other problems that people are dealing with is being constantly distracted and constantly interrupted by notifications, by text, by their own um, desire to scroll social media or whatever it is. So being able to focus 
um, dramatically improves our productivity. I mean, I've absolutely experienced that myself. That kind of, I think you even notice it in yourself over time. The way that your brain reacts and how you take in information depends on how much you look at your phone, I think, now. And it even changes how long you can focus on one task. Exactly. Do, do you feel like um, businesses are generally getting the right balance of between tech and a lack of technology and human interaction in the workplace? Or do you feel like uh, we really need to refocus that? You know, like um, everything in life... When we are going through a big transition like this, um, there are some companies that are um, ahead of um, the curve and some that are behind. Um, What is happening now is that when culture fails in a company, people really take notice Mm. in a way that wasn't happening uh, before. I mean, look at the latest uh, culture fail at Boeing. Um, It's very clear now, and it's clear to um, leaderships within companies and even boards that um, culture is not just a, a nice box to check. It actually affects the bottom line. And we've seen that with Uber. I was on the board of Uber for three years, so I saw it firsthand. We've seen it um, more recently um, with WeWork. Uh, We're seeing it now with Boeing. So regularly now we have big teachable moments of uh, companies where the culture fails. And in fact, we are working with boards and companies to look at um, culture as something that boards need to be following. You know how boards um, assess risks like succession mm. risk, cybersecurity risk, where culture is a risk. Of course. And I think also thinking about uh, the well-being as well, I think, of, of those people in, in that scenario and, and having that as a, a more core part of culture. Exactly, because at the heart of a lot of these culture fails is a, is a culture of burnout, mm. where employees are exhausted, burned out, sleep-deprived. And if you are running on empty, you are more, much more likely to, to make decisions that are not ethical. You, you kind of become the worst version of yourself. Right. That, that's fascinating because you often peg these sort of, those sort of decisions on um, it's, it's poor behavior, but maybe um, being a, you know, some bad character element in that person. But as you say, it can so often be that you're at the, you're at the edge, you know, you've pushed yourself to a point where you don't have the choice and you make poor decisions. Yes. How, how do you think that businesses can make that change? It, it seems so such a, a gigantic change for a business to make to switch culture in that way. But how, how do you think they can start to make that, that process change? You know, it's not it's not gigantic because in the same way it starts with micro steps. I mm. think it it has to start at the top. It has to be modeled um, by um, executives from the CEO down. It's not just the province of HR. Um, HR is now recognized as a key partner for the CEO. And the CEO has to be involved. I mean, in, in many of the companies work with, um, senior executives um, tell their own stories. We're big believers in um, using um, 
executives within the companies we work with as role models, giving permission to others um, to make similar changes in their lives. Uh, with Bank of America, for example, uh, Sherry Bronstein, their head of uh, global HR, um, picked as a micro step in our work together, um, not sending emails to her direct reports on Sunday night, mm. um, <laughs> which immediately made them feel that they had to start working and interrupt <laughs> whatever they were doing with their families or friends. And um, and she wrote a beautiful piece about her journey and how she didn't do it perfectly and she fell off the wagon one Sunday and. And that was amazing for everybody else um, in the company who, first of all, felt that this is not a journey that we're going to do perfectly. You know, we are um, going to take micro steps forward and some steps back, but it's an amazing journey that's going to make us healthier and more productive. Or we had... uh, Uh, the chief business officer um, at Google, Philip Schneider, who wrote a piece about his moment of epiphany when he got back from a long trip and um, his young children were waiting for him and he told them, Daddy is taking you to the playground. And his five-year-old said, Oh, no, can't the babysitter take us? And he asked why. And the little boy said, because when, you, <laughs> when you're in the playground, you're always on your phone. Right. And that was his moment of epiphany. That was when he decided, uh, he travels a lot, he's very busy. He decided when he's with his children, he's going to be really present with his children. And that was great for his team. You know, he has 20,000 people who ladder up to his um, leadership. And, they, and he told me how many emails and texts he got from, from people who felt that they now had permission to, to also be present with their children. So that, we are finding that that's how we're going to change cultures, both through a combination of new role models like um, Philip Schneider or Sherry Bronstein or anybody within a company who is beginning to take steps or celebrities like Selena Gomez writing on Thrive uh, that she does a digital detox regularly or Jeff Bezos writing why he sleeps for eight hours because it improves his decision making. But the other part is are science-backed micro steps and we just bought an AI feedback loop recommendation um, engine company that will uh, keep improving the recommendations we make uh, to our users, like what micro steps to use, what content we should be feeding them. So the combination of science-backed micro steps and, um, and storytelling is going to be the winning combination for behavior change. That's fascinating. I think one thing that seems key there is, in addition to that role modeling and the role of science there, of course, is is openness. I think having the ability to be open and to feel like you can 
fully be yourself at work. And I, I think if being able to bring that entirety of yourself to the workplace and in order to be the best version of that self. But it seems that that needs to, first of all, come from leaders. Do you think that the, the responsibility for making those changes lies solely with leadership or is there more of a reciprocal relationship, do you think? Of course it's reciprocal. Uh, leadership is incredibly important, but you also want um, to make these changes, which starts with knowing that this is possible. Um, and once people believe it's possible and they begin to see results, they are encouraged to continue. And um, and it's re and it's really exciting to support people on this journey. Um, one of the other things we encourage is um, finding what we call an accountability body, mm. somebody um, who can be your buddy on the journey and you can check in on each other. Um, we recommend, for example, to uh, the companies we work with to start with an entry interview. You know, people talk about exit interviews, but... <laughs> Even more important are entry interviews. And one of the first questions we ask is, what's important to you outside of work? And um, and then, how can we support you? Like we had an editor here at Thrive who said, what's important to me is to make a 7 p.m. every Tuesday therapy appointment. And we said, great, um, let's support you, because she hadn't been able to make it over the last year when she was in her previous job. Right. So we, we asked her to find somebody who would be her accountability body and who at 6 o'clock literally takes her bags and puts them by the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the point of that is not just that she's been making that appointment, but also that it builds the team spirit and uh, people on your team know what's important to you as a human being, not just as a, as a member of the, of, of the team working together. It's fascinating. I, and I think what that says is that the ownership for these things is, is all of our responsibility. You know, the well-being of others in our business is something that we should be conscious yes. of. And if, if somebody listening to this wants to make that, that step, a leader, an HR leader saying, I want to start to be more conscious of the well-being of my employees, what do you think would be a good way to, to kick off? Is it simply a, a conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be a conversation with everyone um, because I think it's great for everyone in the company to know that that's a priority for the company. And, uh, and then micro steps, like um, where do we start? You know, how do we uh, give people these micro steps across every area of their lives, um, from um, nutrition, exercise, sleep, um, communication, and the ability to avoid distractions, and there are micro steps um, along all these areas. And then what I would encourage them to do is to have people share their stories because we learn from each other's stories. And um, storytelling is absolutely key. In fact, we launched um, 
meditative story, which is um, a podcast um, for people who don't meditate or right. uh, who find meditation daunting. It's, it's also great for people who do meditate, but we b bring people into meditation through storytelling. So I actually, my story is about how I got into Cambridge and uh, and. And then our host gives you mindfulness prompts to think of similar moments in your life. So we try to meet people where they are. And uh, there is no wrong moment to start on this journey. And it's an amazing journey that makes our lives um, so much richer and, uh, and makes our work lives so much more productive. And I write about these things. I have a weekly newsletter that people can subscribe to, and it goes out every Sunday. So if anybody wants to subscribe, um, you can do it through thriveglobal.com, you know, our, um, our media platform. What's fascinating about that, I think, about your that podcast, the meditative element of that, and also you... you uh, get onto it there by talking about your your newsletter as well. There's an element of human connection, it seems, to all these all these projects that Thrive Global and, yes. and yourself is working on about establishing a connection. And I think that's something which can become so challenging, uh, as you say, when you're so focused on work. It, do you think that the human connection is is the most fundamental part of all of this? Is, is that kind of at the base? Do you think of of, of making such changes? Absolutely. I'm so glad you, you made that point because um, everything we're doing starts with the premise that every human being has that place of strength, peace, and wisdom in us. It's our birthright. And uh, we live most of our lives disconnected from that. And as Thich Nhat Hanh, the great Buddhist monk, said, it's never been easier to run away from ourselves because of our addiction to technology, because of the busyness and breathlessness of modern life. So what we're helping people do is reconnect to that place inside ourselves. Nobody lives there all the time. But knowing how to get back to it, which makes us more resilient and less subject to the inevitable stresses of modern life, in fact, in our product, in a behavior change product, we have a feature that I particularly love called Reset, which is based on the scientific fact that it takes just 60 seconds to course correct from stress. That stress is inevitable and not a problem. What is a problem is stress becoming cumulative. Right. So um, we ask our users to bring together elements, photos, music, uh, quotes, that are joy triggers for them, that help them um, remember what they value and what they're grateful for. And we put it all together. And then when you're feeling stressed, you just play your guide. And, you know, mine includes pictures of my daughters when they were young and unproblematic. <laughs> um, my favorite song... <laughs> Uh, currently, you know, you can change it, which is Taylor Swift's You Need to Calm Down. Oh, um, favorite quotes, 
you know, like roomy, live life as though everything is rigged in your favor. Mm. So if I'm feeling stressed after I got some bad news or I had a stressful meeting, I don't just keep going. I take one minute to course correct. If you think of it, one minute. It's nothing, but it's game changing. And that's why, again, it's back to micro steps. It's small. It's 60 seconds. But if you do it like, let's say, four or five times a day, you end up going home and not feeling so wired. So many people go home so wired that they can't come down. They can't sleep. They have to self-medicate or... Mm. um, have real prob- problems transitioning from their work life to their um, to their own personal life. It's fascinating that, and it's funny how these things we think they take so much time to implement. You think, oh, meditation is going to take so much time out of my day that I can't possibly take yes. time out. But it's funny when I started meditating, <laughs> the same thing happened for me. When you make that tiny change, and it was maybe five minutes, and it was all of a sudden like I, my brain had completely almost like a gone from this ball of yarn to one single thread or something like that. Suddenly (laughs) you have this clarity. And I think it's just about making those tiny adjustments and possibly listening to Taylor Swift. (laughs) To to return to um, um, talking about businesses then, I suppose, okay, like you're in that moment at work, you're having that stress, you can take those micro steps and make that change. But about the the wider organization then, how do you think an organization's purpose can connect to the well-being of its employees? Well, it's very important for the organization to make its purpose very clear, not just in beautiful sayings, uh, but in how it links to um, everybody's life. And then every employee needs to lose, to sorry, to link that company purpose to to their individual purpose. Also, what is so interesting now is that, you know, in a recent survey, nine out of 10 career professionals told researchers they would sacrifice future earnings for work that is always meaningful. So millennials especially really care for, um, for work that's meaningful, that has purpose. And that starts with trust, you know, building trust with your employees, building trust with consumers. And what is great now is that companies can no longer hide behind um, just beautiful cultural statements. Um, They need to live uh, that purpose. Um, At Thrive, for example, our purpose is to end the stress and burnout epidemic by helping hundreds of millions of people around the world change the way they work and live. We repeat that endlessly, and we link it to people's own lives. And we want every employee who is here to bring that to their lives, um, to make sure that they are feeling resilient when there are problems, obstacles, um, to reach out. So we believe that um being direct, as you said earlier, being able to express and seek help is key. So our number one cultural value is what we call compassionate directness. Because if people um, 
don't feel that they can be direct, that they can give feedback, that they can disagree, um, those disagreements and resentments simply fester mm. and, um, and undermine the culture. Yeah, I think that what's interesting about that is what I love that term, compassionate directness, because as you say, being direct and being honest and being open is so important, but it's feeling like you can do so in a way which is still kind and, and, and comes from a genuinely good place that you can, you can, you can voice your thoughts without fear of being rebuked or, or making someone else feel lesser in any way. It's such a wonderful way of phrasing that. Yes. I, I, I could continue doing this conversation for a very long time because it's been absolutely fascinating, but I think uh, I'll probably ask one more question and then let you get back um, to, to your work. Great. Lastly then, Ariana, if a HR leader, a business leader is listening to this podcast and they want to transform the well-being of their employees, but they haven't the faintest idea of where to start, what would be maybe <laughs> your uh, top tip to, to get them started? If you could pick one or maybe a, maybe a couple. Well, the top tip is to um, help the company make a, what we call a mind shift um, and this delusion that in order to succeed, they have to, the employees have to burn out. Because um, changing false beliefs is essential before you can change behavior. So we believe it has to start with changing this belief because if the employees believe that in order to succeed, they have to be always on, they don't have um, time to sleep or recharge or get off their phones, they're not going to practice their micro steps for change. So you need to change that belief. And this is a prevalent belief, um, which uh, some companies are more successful than others in changing it. And what helps change it is uh, um, some stories from um, executives, people admired within the company, talking about how, in fact, uh, when they prioritize their well-being, they're more productive. Some stories and examples from athletes. Athletes are a great constituency to go to because they have demonstrated again and again that recovery is part of performance. You know, if you are LeBron James or Tom Brady, you know, you they regularly talk about how when they sleep, when they uh, take time to recharge, they're better on the court. Um, and that's something which um, is the same for all of us in whatever uh, field of endeavor. Absolutely fascinating. I mean, I could continue with this conversation, as I say, for such a, a long time, Ariana, but uh, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I hope we can have you back again soon. Thank you so much. I loved being with you. And uh, if anybody wants to reach out to me or ask any more questions, I'll give you my email address. It's ah at thriveglobal.com. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HRD Live podcast with Ariana Huffington. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe at hrdconnect.com or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for a brand new episode every week. See you next time.